0: Hi everyone, this is Ben Edwards and you are listening to Crossing Over, a podcast that is dedicated to exploring the human journey. You can find Crossing Over on Facebook at facebook.com slash crossingoverpodcast. You can find Crossing Over on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast apps by simply searching for Crossing Over Podcast, and you can find all the episodes and expanded content on the website crossingoverpodcast.wordpress.com. I am so excited about the conversation that you're about to listen to because i get to speak with one of my favorite people about one of my favorite things my guest is father scott jenkins he's the chaplain for the staff at the organization in denver that i have worked for for more than seven years he is nearing retirement as a priest in the ecumenical catholic communion and he is one of the founding directors of Celtic way, a collaboration of people moved to bring a fresh vision to the spiritual life by nurturing a rooted, vibrant, evolving, and sustainable life in God with nature. I hope that you'll enjoy the conversation. And if you do, I hope that you'll take a minute to go to the Facebook page to leave a comment, letting me know what you think, like the episode and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening. Father Scott, tell us a little bit about who you are, and what brings us here today.
1: Yeah. Well, outside of all the familial things I could tell you about myself, married and husband and grandfather and father, of course. Um, My spiritual journey started out uh, coming out of uh, the drug culture of the late 1960s through the Jesus Movement, through a great evangelical church that I'm in many ways indebted to. To this day, and going to graduate school in Berkeley, California, and uh, really finding my steps that led me to a very traditional, mainline Christianity, very sacramental and liturgical, uh, and in terms of theology, very Augustinian, and was very content uh, in that field for Mm -hmm. a long time. And then about 10 years ago, uh, I had this awakening, um, deeply (laughs) disturbing and troubling awakening (laughs) uh, into what I currently call Celtic Christianity that pretty much took my mainline Christianity and turned it on its head. Yeah. And um, that's, I think, why we're here today. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a...
0: It's a tradition that has impacted me a lot as well. um, Why don't we start with a simple question that's not simple at all, (laughs) which is, what exactly is Celtic Christianity?
1: What is it in an overview? Uh For me, my understanding and experience and my study around this is that it is actually a, a return to a kind of Christianity that Broadly speaking was everywhere in the first four centuries because Christianity was agrarian. We weren't industrial. We certainly weren't technological in the way we are today. Mm -hmm. And so how we the ancient uh, Hebrew people and the early Christians talked about Christianity had everything to do with the changing of the seasons, uh Look at all, all of Jesus's images that he uses about plants and trees and birds and rocks, yeah. and you know, so that was just naturally that way. And when Christianity came to the British Isles, whether through Roman soldiers or uh, monks from Egypt, um, certainly what came was a very unique blend that was not like continental. Christianity and Mm. its Augustinian influence, but more Celtic in that there is this solid foundational belief that the presence of God permeates every living thing. Mm. So many authors, ancient Celts, and even some modern authors today talk about nature as the first, um, quote, book. End quote of of revelation. Yeah, that there really is a natural revelation where people can discover and be discovered by God and experience God and learn a lot about God just through that. So the four seasons would talk to us about the different cycles and seasons of life, for example. Um, So that's one thing because that is true then everything is interconnected in celtic christianity and what yeah. is there a more important thing to hold up for the 21st century than boy we're all interconnected and our very yeah. survival depends upon one another now i'm talking about not just different peoples around the world but the world itself and Uh, Taking care of nature is taking care of ourselves. So the Hmm. interconnectedness of all living things uh, is another thing. And because God is within everything, then that includes us as people. And going back to the mythic stories of Genesis where we are created in the image of God. And God looked upon that and said that is good and that is very good. Is so a centerpiece of Celtic Christianity is that the image of God still lies deeply within us. Mm. And the fall in the garden damaged that, but it did not obliterate that. Mm. And many ancient Celtic writers will say what God created within us, we Simply do not have the power <laughs> to destroy, which makes mm. all kinds of sense to me. Yeah.
0: Kind so it uh, takes me back to that Paul thought that nothing can separate us from yeah. God's love. Yeah. Nothing can separate us from the image of God within us
1: yeah. as well. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly it, right there. Hmm. Bingo. And later, in another podcast, we will talk about Pelagius and uh, <laughs> why he was right. <laughs> but So free will is a the hallmark then. We have the, the power to choose and to follow Christ mm. uh, and to love our neighbor. And, um, and we don't do that well without the grace of God, but certainly the ability to choose Christ um, lies within each and every person. Mm. And by Christ, in a bigger picture, I mean God. Jesus as one of, of a great example of what it means to be a follower of the ways of God. Mm. To love neighbor and self uh, and God.
0: Yeah. yeah. Christ, the one through whom everything has come into being.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. And, yeah. and as the fourth gospel says, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God and all things were made through the Word. So take that as a Christian would. And I like that because since that is true in my heart, then the presence of God is found everywhere throughout Mm. the world in all peoples and all who seek. So that's a great thing. Yeah. I like in Celtic Christianity from the very beginning equality between men and women. hmm There were no roles that were just for men and other roles that were just for women, of course, bearing children. Sure. Um, but in terms of the religious life, the spiritual life, the life of, for, the, for the village, uh, in warfare, in commerce, in education, and in spirituality, men and women were equal. Yeah, And that means an awful lot to me today. That's very important to me.
0: Yeah, it feels important for, for the world right now. It seems like there's a growing awareness of, of the need for that sort of a view on the relationship between the sexes.
1: Yeah, I think the human heart gets weary today of oppression and mm. suppression. I think so. And I love Celtic Christianity because it just lifts that up and holds it right out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Oh,
0: mm-hmm. well, yeah. There's so much that we could dive into just about that one question, what is Celtic Christianity? Because yeah. like I said, it's complex. It's not, it's, It's simple just because it's a short question, but man, it just opens up so much.
1: Yeah, each one of these could be a podcast, right?
0: Absolutely, and eventually, hopefully, they will be. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So why does Celtic Christianity appeal
1: to you personally? Well, right before I... I came down to this church, St. John's, that we're in right now to listen to John Philip Newell the very first time, eight or nine years ago, I had already began to struggle with some mainline main Christian uh, paradigms that were undergoing a shift in me and, and that I had trouble holding on to. For So, for example, um, I began to welcome infants and small children to the Eucharist. Um, mm-hmm probably influenced by the, the Eastern Orthodox writers that I was reading uh, because uh, children suckled at their mother's breast long before they knew why, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, they were hungry, analogy. it's time to eat. And the Eastern Orthodox Church knew that from the beginning where they would baptize and Give first communion to oh, and so good. confirmation to infants, you know, because it's not to be earned. Yeah, it's a life thing. You need it to live, and so I began to do that. And well, and that just to yeah. um, interject,
0: I mean that that is one of the things that my my wife and I held very very highly to any church that we would go to with our with our um, daughter we wanted to find a place that would give her communion. Like that, that, yeah. that felt really, really important to oh. us. And so it was it was always a grateful thing. I mean, we, we were always grateful that you would do that for us. Yeah. It? Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. I, could, I could not not do that. Yeah. I, I read this passage, and I read it very differently after my encounter with John Philip Newell, when Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And all of a sudden, mm. in a metaphorical way, I thought... We believe in the real presence of Christ at the meal. Let the little children come to me. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So that's kind of... So the whole being lost in sin and separated from God and on the way to hell, um, the whole Augustinian thing. And, And Augustine wrote... Great, uh, a lot of good things, but this yeah. was not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> the things that were born in sin and separated from God just, hmm. I mean, my younger friends began to question that and say to me, uh, we don't believe that. That's yeah. not true. And yeah, and I began to delve into the sciences. and And then when I ran into the Celtic Christian writings, or they didn't hold on to that. Right the Wesleyan tradition doesn't hold on to that. Mm-hmm. There was a time in Anglicanism where they didn't hold on to that. And a lot of Christians don't hold the Greek Orthodox don't hold on to that. And I just thought, Wow, this is and it's so freeing and liberating to see the image of God peace. Changes anthropology mm. and then it begins to change everything else.
0: There's a story that this brings up to me. I was reading a book somewhat recently that talked about this this view that when you're well I guess even before you're born that you have this sin that this is like the deepest part of what it means to be a human being and apparently um, I don't think that it was Augustine himself but some followers of his um, over the years began to practice that if a child were to be born still Mm-hmm. Or would die before baptism, yeah. that they wouldn't even be allowed to be buried on, on church property. Yeah. Which I just think, man, if, if if there's a single story that can just expose the flaw of this way of thinking, I think yeah. it's that story right there. It, it's
1: heartbreaking. Yeah. And it happened. Do mm. you know? It yeah. just happened. And. What kind of image of God does that bring about for people? Yeah. Who wants to come and be with that God, you know? And so it changes how you look at the coming of Christ. Yeah. It changes how you look at how Jesus died. It changes the function, what is the purpose of the church? Hmm. Instead of controlling the gates of heaven, now in the Celtic Christianity, the church becomes... This place for all people to come and discover who they already are. So how did this change things for you oh. as a priest? Well, I rewrote the Sacrament of Baptismal Liturgy mm. <laughs> that talked about that very thing. We Not washing away the stain of original sin. Mm. We light a candle after young people are baptized or anybody's baptized, right? And, and we... Say, now you are the light bearer of Christ. And so baptism is a place where, wow, we are awakened now to who we really are. Mm. And you give the meal to people who know who they are, right? So that can <laughs> yeah. strengthen them for that journey because we need that grace to become fully who we are called to be. Yeah.
0: So. That, just the way that you're talking about that feels like your leadership. It just feels that way. I mean, I, I, I can see, as I look back on the years, as we've come to Celtic Mass and come to your church on Sundays as well, occasionally, I feel what you're talking about right now. That's yeah. so cool. I, I guess that I can see how Celtic Christianity has influenced you just from my, from my experience in that presence. Yeah, And uh, I used to work at a church as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you knew this, but my priest there wrote, a different baptismal um, liturgy as well oh I didn't know that yeah so his his wasn't rewritten for the entire church but he mm-hmm. but he wrote it for his I believe his granddaughter
1: yeah it's been very liberating very freeing to me I'm very excited to talk about Christianity and the coming of Jesus again and mm. I even uh, will go to certain Irish bars around and set up a little <laughs> paper tent on the table saying spirituality conversations of your choice, beer and appetizers. And, and I get your generation, the millennials, will come and sit down and they want to talk. Are you buying their beer? Because that I, would explain why. I buy the first round. <laughs>
0: well, come on, if it's free beer. <laughs> yeah. And then uh,
1: after that, somebody always says, hey, I'll, I'll buy the next pitcher. I don't drink a lot of beer because I have gluten issues, but um, but it's always an inviting place. the 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 people who own the pubs are just amazed at how many people will really stay. Hmm. I mean, and what do
0: they think about? these conversations, the people that own them?
1: Well, it was tough getting in, and I'm not going to mention any names, sure, sure. but uh, I, I'm, the last time I went to this place, um, the owner called me and he said, hey, are you coming back on a Thursday night? And I said, I am. <laughs> and he said, why don't I make a little special uh, tent sign and put it outside, oh, an wow. appetizer menu for spiritual conversations and beer. Wow! Yeah. See, so it's good business for them. Heck yeah! And it's uh, it's good for the soul for people to be outside the so-called church building and mm-hmm. be the church in some place they like to be, and so in a pub and have good food and yeah, yeah. and good beer. That's,
0: yeah. <laughs> so that's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just been uh, it's it, it's taking me back to what I think that uh, the the birth of the early church is really all about. It's exciting to come into the presence of a God who loves us Mm -hmm. instead of a God who starts out by saying, you're condemned. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and now you've got to be saved. Absolutely.
0: And, yeah, so. It does change everything. Everything changes. It absolutely changed the way that I view God and the way that I view myself and, yeah, and what's, what's interesting about it is that I don't know that my experience before Celtic Christianity, that my experience really fit with the theology that shaped it, I guess. Yeah. I've always felt like I've come to that God. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have the language for it. Right. Isn't that interesting? So it, yeah. that's
1: what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a reawakening mm-hmm. of our true selves. It's what, if I could be so bold, I and I have limited experience about this, but your generation comes with an open heart and an open mind when we're having these conversations, and they just look at me and they're like, Man, this is a kind of Christianity I can get behind. Because mm. first of all, the symbol of Celtic Christianity is a circle where everybody is equal, Mm. So, you see, all the voices matter, all the questions matter, all the listening matters. So I think in terms of gathering for worship now, for one person to stand up and give a message and everybody else sits there and listens is still this hierarchical from the top down. Right. But Celtic Christianity calls us in to ask, what are you hearing? How is this striking you? I'm really interested. It's no bullshit. I really want to know how you're engaging this. And I think around the table at the pub, this is what people will say to me at the end of the night. I really appreciate you caring about my opinion. And if there's going to be renewal in church, I think that's got to be part of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think discrimination and hierarchy are things that you're generation just is no longer gonna put up. Yeah. Put, they're not gonna put up with that. Yeah. You know, so when the Eucharist needs to be offered in a very simple way as the meal that Jesus would want to celebrate and let people celebrate it in their homes, at the pub, where out in the park, you know, because we tend to think of when Jesus said, Do this in memory of me, as if in the in a stained glass cathedral, by mm. a certain male behind the altar, you know, with special powers. I don't think so. I think that the power in the meal is gathering the community together and remembering the one who is present with us in this meal. I think it's that simple and that profound.
0: I think you're right. Yeah. As I mean, of course, I can't speak for my entire generation, but right. I mean, yeah. there's there's a reason that long before I really even understood what Celtic Christianity meant, but just from what I heard from you, the times that I've heard you talk about it, there was just always something that just resonated with me, even before I, I was even ready for it. There was just something about it that constantly piqued my interest. Yeah. Constantly. And I think that you're right. I think that my, my generation... And I get the impression even more so the generation that's coming up after me, mm-hmm. I think, is hungry for something that uh, sounds so harsh, but it's, it's, it's hungry for something that American established um, Christianity is just not offering.
1: No, we have to have real engagement and experiences around what it means to pray. What does it mean to meditate and sit in silence with the Holy Other? What does it mean to read scripture like the ancient Celts who, Irigina, for example, said, if you look at the back of a peacock who fanned its feathers and gave different colors on each feather, Yuragina said, that's how you read scripture, through many different lenses. Hmm. Look at it through as many lenses as you can, and avail yourself to what the Spirit is trying to say through the stories and the traditions in this book. And look at your experiences with one another. You might be, as many Celts said, the only gospel some people will ever read. Hmm. And I like that because we need to embody our faith in very free and loving and inclusive ways yeah. today. I, I, I think really Celtic Christianity is going to be a great light for the coming generations. I think the church is going through a revolution within itself now. Right. And I think this kind of Christianity, call it Celtic or alternative orthodoxy like the Franciscans like to use, or whatever you want to call it, but this image of God and this image of man and this Humanity and this image of nature uh, offers us a fresh start, a fresh take, and a fresh interpretation of what it means to be Christian in the 21st century.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering if you can say a little bit more. We, we talked before we started recording specifically about the phenomenon of many people in my generation, who are deciding to leave the church just in mass.
1: Record numbers.
0: Record numbers, and churches across the entire country are are complaining that they have budgets that are dwindling because they just don't have the membership to keep them afloat. So we talked about the fact that for these people specifically who something is turning them away from church culture or uh, you know whatever you would call that that there's something within Celtic Christianity that is profoundly important and that you believe is like this new hope maybe Mm -hmm. for for these people I wonder if you could just say a little bit more about that
1: sure I think what people are hungry for today and this is uh, quite an overused term but I believe it's true the coming of Christ offered the world spiritual transformation. Now bottom line, that's what I hunger for, and there's a lot of books out today. The millennials are, will say, we are very spiritual people, we're not religious. Yeah. So they now belong to the new category of religious people called the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S. N-O-N-E-S right? yeah. And so, what do they find when they when they come to church? Well, they find hierarchy, and they find exclusionary principles, and they find sort of rigidity. I think they also find there's no place for them to to have their voice heard. I mean. When the community gathers and the Word is broken, open, in the liturgy of the Word or whatever you call it, it's really nice to listen to somebody who's theologically trained and is mm-hmm. good at giving this. But that has to be balanced. There needs to come a time where their voice is heard and engaged and their questions are listened to. One young woman said to me, "Well, i had having this conversation uh, behind St. Joseph the Worker, and a woman said to me, The church has gone at great lengths to keep reality outside and church conversation and faces inside. And Hmm. I said to Sarah, can you give me an example? She said to me, I've had two abortions. Is there a safe place for me to talk about that inside the church? And if so, when is that Hmm. and with whom? Or another person said to me, I uh, have a place to live downtown I have a fairly success successful job and I'm on my third try uh, at the same time trying to get off of heroin hmm. I'm not sure where I can talk to people about that yeah you know so these kind of these are extreme issues sure but loneliness, sex before or outside of marriage um, all kinds of issues that are a lot of people don't feel they can talk about inside because church has become sort of this way of being in the world that has disconnected itself from a lot of the hardships and difficulties in life it makes me think um, so this this time of year
0: so this we are recording during um, Advent mm-hmm. during this time of year I I always think about the the idea of um, incarnation yeah of and of course this is so deeply ingrained in Celtic Christianity mm. this idea that that God is in flesh right mm. and I feel like what you're kind of pointing to and maybe this can be a symbol of my generation like what what we long for, is the incarnational experience in the church yeah. where God is actually talked about as a part of real life and not a part of this this manicured and pedicured mm-hmm. you know, sort of right. uh, thing that we can display on Sunday mornings that, I mean, I think I've had experiences growing up and I'm sure you have too where you're a part of these churches where, um, you know, like the the cliche is and I've experienced it you know, with, with, with folks that I've known that uh, husband and wife will be angry with each other and fight the whole way to church open up the front door and suddenly it's all smiles <laughs> there's no problems here right yeah. because that's that's the expectation yeah. there there there's very very little what what you're saying real life that makes it into that space yeah and i think that i think you're onto something i think that might be a part of what what my generation is sick of
1: yeah i think they're tired of it uh, when you brought up that example my wife and i used to live exactly one mile away from one of our churches <laughs> And our first year of marriage was difficult, and we'd be driving to church arguing, and we'd pull in the parking lot, bang, there comes our, our church face. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can tell you that so authenticity and genuineness, right, mm. this is what people are looking for today. Yeah. They're also looking for, I think, the Celtic idea of anam kara, a soul friend, somebody to really share the depths of the spiritual journey with. Yeah. So I'm very hopeful that the house, church, and small group thing will flourish again in a very positive way that encourages authenticity, prayer, intercession for one another, uh, tolerance, patience, forgiveness, all that stuff that is so enriching to life.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm wondering if you feel like we missed anything along the way, or if you,
1: no, if you I feel like anything... No, I think this is a good... good Good stepping into the water of yeah. Celtic way, Celtic spirituality. Yeah, maybe
0: that's a good a good place to to go next. So maybe tell us just a little bit about the latest chapters. So we've talked about how your your introduction to Celtic Christianity sh- uh, shaped the kind of priest that you mm-hmm. have been, yeah. and now you have decided to take a giant leap, once again inspired by Celtic Christianity. I wonder if you could tell us just a little bit about that, maybe do a shameless plug.
1: Oh, yeah, <laughs> our, our next incarnation, yeah. So quite a group of people for Celtic Way, which is a non-profit, so CelticWay.org. And our mission uh, is to share this Celtic Christian message by way of doing retreats, workshops, seminars, uh, prayer services, I want to write and rewrite some Eucharistic liturgies that can reflect Celtic spirituality and theology. It's important to me that we also do service projects uh, in conjunction with many of the nonprofit groups in Denver. Um, I'd like to have a writer's. Wing, so people like you and Annie and Mm. Terry and Eileen, people who have the gift of writing, Ken Scott and and myself, (laughs) and express (laughs) ourselves in writing, books and um, Mm. prayer services, blessings for the home. We have got to bring our Christian spirituality back home. So many churches today, for example, produce catechisms because the real catechists are the parents, and the church co-opted that and said, only we can teach Christianity. And it needs, all this stuff really needs to come back home. The, what do we believe mom and dad needs to come back into the home and have conversations together as family and friends? And... Um, so Celtic Way is going to be spearheading all of this and, and trying to move this ball forward. And so far, I'm very happy with what we've done. The blogs you've written are excellent and have their own following. And i um, really, really glad someday some people around this table will say I'm going to start a Celtic community in our home. Mm. Um, and that's going to be great. And... Um, I think what we'll find is there'll be a lot of hunger for this around the country we've already experienced some of that people are like how do we do this where we live right so and that's
0: that's sort of the whole point right Mm -hmm. is is to take some of these ideas that um, I've, I've got friends across the country who have heard about Celtic Christianity and have been so intrigued by it, mm-hmm. and then the main question is, where do I find mm-hmm. a place to really engage with this? And right. So the whole point of, of Celtic Way yeah. is to say, here in Denver, mm-hmm. we are going to intentionally cultivate this spirituality here and see if we can inspire others to, mm-hmm. to
1: do the same elsewhere. Terry has a great vision for a women's group called Bridget's Circle Hmm. and when she was in college I think one of her things that she worked on was uh, the character Bridget as a paradigm for feminine leadership in Hmm. America in the 21st century and um, yeah that's going to be really good and she's challenging me to think about a men's group and think Hmm. about home churches and think about quarterly gatherings and <laughs> I'm both excited and feeling a little bit daunted by all of this and then I realized I'd really come to believe without trying to sound too big you know too yeah. large um but I really think this is going to be a movement of the spirit I think so
0: yeah I get that feeling too and uh to to respect uh, the journey that you've been on, I, I can't remember if you've already mentioned this, this shift with Celtic Way means a very personal shift for you as well, where you're, you're kind of retiring, although yeah. it's almost like you're going to be moving into more work than, than right. you were doing before. I think you're right.
1: <laughs> and my friends tell me, dude, you're going to be 65, not 25. But, uh, yeah. So at the end of February, I'll be, uh, retiring as the pastor of Church of the Holy Family, which without those good people there, I couldn't have had this soil in which to grow and evolve and change. They blessed me and helped me and taught me every step of the way. And then uh, in March, taking sabbatical time to reflect on thirty-some years of pastoral ministry and to just sit with God uh, for that month. And then in April, we'll slowly start um, doing some very concrete things on a regular basis here that will give us some traction, yeah, and um, I will miss being a pastor, and especially miss being a pastor with those people at Holy Family. Hmm. Um, But I really feel called to do this, so, yeah. That's, That's great.
0: Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sitting down and talking to me. I really do get the feeling, uh, because of the passion that we both share for Celtic Christianity, mm-hmm. that we could and should uh, sit down again and talk about some of the specifics of what we just sort of scratched the surface of today.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. Um,
0: cool. Do you want to maybe close this out by giving us. Uh, one or two recommendations. Say that we listen to the conversation and either we've never heard of Celtic Christianity or this is maybe the most that, that we've heard about it mm-hmm. and we really want to take a next step to find out whether this is right for, uh, for us. So what, what would you recommend yeah. that, that those folks do?
1: Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you three recommendations. One is to go to John Philip Newell's website called heartbeat.com
0: uh, or dot org? I don't know. I'm thinking. It's one of those. It, is, it <laughs> sure is. You can just uh, Google it.
1: Right. And so there you're going to get some audio files you can download and listen to. John mm. is a preeminent Celtic scholar today. Two books of his that I would recommend for places to start. One is Listening to the Heartbeat of God. So there you get a little history as well as personal experience in there. Mm -hmm. And the second one may surprise you that I'm going to change and go to this one, but it's called One Foot in Eden. Oh, okay. And it's sort of a developmental model about the stages of life Hmm. seen through a Celtic lens. It's really good. It's really good, and it can be so prayerfully... um, experiential as well as learning stuff as you go so I would strongly recommend those two yeah yeah uh, Nora Chadwick is a Celtic historian so if you're into theology and history she has several books that you can find Nora Chadwick mm-hmm okay Amazon carries her stuff and um, yeah that's that's a good good beginning places
0: great yeah Well, thanks. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. For all of you who are listening, go in peace. Thanks be to God. Amen.